Let's take up our Bibles this morning, shall we? Let's look to the Word of God. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, starting our text this morning in verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Please follow along as I now read from the Holy Word of God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of the faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we look to you, and we pray to you, Lord, we would even lean in close to you and whisper our words of prayer to you. May our prayer be, Lord, teach us to draw near to you. Let us seek your presence, your nearness, the comfort of you in our lives closely attained. Bless this effort, Lord, for your truth proclaims we have access to you and you desire us enter in. Help these words that you have given us to remove the impediments that so many of us have at feeling welcome to come to you. Let us banish the errors, and take up the truths with confidence. We ask in Jesus' name, our Savior and our God, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We've been looking at the accomplishments of the new covenant. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we have been looking at what the covenant itself accomplishes from God's side, from the sacrificial side, what the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, that great sacrifice accomplished for all who believe. But today we learn a new thing. We learn what you as believers may accomplish in the new covenant. We've looked at what Jesus has done, what God has done, and now we will see what you may do because of the new covenant. And you will do it by a new and living 
way, by a new and living way. This, this is a lettuce sermon. I don't mean this is a salad sermon. You know, a bunch of different things thrown together, hopefully helpful. No, this is a let us sermon. The words we have three times, verse 22, 23, 24. 22, let us draw near. 23, let us hold fast. 24, let us consider. It's a let us sermon. By the way, it's a let us series of sermons. We're only going to do the first leaf of lettuce, excuse me, this morning. I address it to all believers, but I have particular focus this morning for you more timid believers, you who lack a confidence, you who lack a particular courage and faith, I address it to you, but, but let me not leave out those of you who have your own personal courage, courage perhaps in yourself, a confidence in your ability to believe beyond others, it's for you also. These are commands but they are so inviting. You know, we have to remember, as I've told you so many times, almost as a mantra in this church, that when God gives a command, what does it mean? It means, come here. Well, this is the ultimate place in the Bible where God is commanding us to come here, and it is one of the most delightful sorts of invitations, and we should look at it that way. It's a let us sermon. It's a we get to do this by the command of God. See, this is a sermon that calls to those who have believed the new covenant promises to follow the new covenant through a new and living way and to achieve what may be accomplished because of the new covenant accomplishments of God that you trust in. So over the next three Sundays, I'm going to organize our thoughts with three, these three guiding words. Number one, confidence. Number two, confession. And number three, consideration. Confidence, confession, and consideration. Because the writer here of Hebrews is giving us three positive commands, the let us commands, and one negative command. And all of these is given as evidences of the accomplishments of the new covenant in our lives. So that we may know, so that you may know whether you are truly among those who have believed, who have believed on the new covenant promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will respond to these commands in a particular delight of obedience. The new and living way, what you may accomplish in the new covenant. Let's begin with confidence. 
let us have confidence that draws near to God. Let us have confidence that draws near to God. Look at verse 22. The command to us from God's lips through the writer of Hebrews to our ears this day, God then commands. It's even as though he is calling upon the heart of every true believer. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. The confidence of doing that very thing that God has called us to do. Haven't you sometimes when you've been reading in the Psalms and you read of David and his desire to be close to God and you say, I don't think like that like I should. I, I'm not like David like that like I, I would like to be. Why is it that he seems to be so confident that God wants him close and I seem to lack that confidence that God wants me close? Even Asaph who wrote Psalm 73, writes of this privilege and also this trust that he has in his Lord and his God when he writes Psalm 73 in verse 28. He says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Do you even think like that? This is, this is what they would say, sing. This is what they would believe. It is good for me, Asaph says, to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So interestingly, this very Psalm 73 verse 1 begins this way. Listen. He confesses this truth. Asaph says, Truly God is good to Israel. Truly God is good to Israel. Can you even say that about yourself? As he said it about Israel, knowing that Israel is one of the most disobedient people on the face of the earth, knowing that God himself said, you Israel, you are the most stiff-necked of people. Knowing that God even had to punish these people so many times, yet it would be from a position of confidence that Asaph would say, truly God is good to Israel. Oh, that's not where he ends. He says, to such as are pure in heart. To such as in pure in heart, it is good for me to draw near to the Lord. I want to give you confidence uh, this morning from the text of Scripture. From this command, this invitation by God who commands you Come hither, come near unto me. And I do so by showing you three possessions given by the new covenant. Three, three promises, if you will, that are already yours, that are outlined here. The first of these three is the possession of a true heart. The psalm we just read, those who have a pure heart, those who have a, a true heart, if you will. Draw near. God is good to those. What is this true heart and how is it that we possess it? Notice our text says, let us draw near with a true heart. A true heart. 
How is that even to come to us? How is that even part of what we might say that we have? Some of you may be thinking this morning saying, well, I believe in the new covenant, but I'm not sure that I even have a true heart. What is this true heart? Do you even remember what the new covenant promises? See, if we believe on the new covenant, then we believe what God has done and what God has done unto us. And then it is by faith that we believe that this actually happened to us. It is true. We look back at chapter 8 of Hebrews, where this covenant was taken directly out of the writings of Jeremiah. And we read in verse 10 these words that Jeremiah penned hundreds of years before. Now the writer of Hebrews picks them up and declares them again to Israel and to us. And in verse 10, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Listen, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their, what? Hearts. When you believe the new covenant, you believe that God has placed his word in your mind and he is writing it on your hearts by his sovereign Desire, will, purpose, and accomplishment. This is done. And it is being done. And so your heart is now changed. As Jesus would proclaim that there must be a born again portion in your belief. Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And you're born again by belief in the promises of God, this promise, namely. And that then makes you this. He says, I will be their God, and they shall be their pe my people. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, verse 12, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. This is the new covenant. We do not believe in the old covenant. We are believing in the new covenant there written in the book of Hebrews from Jeremiah. The possession of a true heart is what God gives, and it then becomes an evidence in your life. Even in the Old Testament, the trueness of heart and the change of heart that God can only make is declared as something that God does. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, David to Solomon, As for you, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart, a true heart, a proven heart, a loyal heart, and with a willing mind. That's the kind of heart that God is calling close. Let us draw near with the true heart, and God's given you one to follow after him. For the Lord searches all things, David says to Solomon going on. He searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. Isn't that interesting? In this very book of Hebrews, we have read that the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the separation of joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is what? Is a discerner of the thoughts 
and the intents of the heart. Where we are, the word exposes. And with a true heart, we must come. And it is a true heart that he gives in the new birth. The Psalms are very much a place to go to discover what is a true heart and how it works and fits into our hearts and minds. In Psalm 9, verse 1, this declaration, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. See, a true heart has the whole of it directed toward God. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. What are we telling of? The greatest work that God ever did in any of your lives and in any miracle across the face of the pages of Scripture is the giving of you, sinner, a new heart. Is the taking of your stony heart, as Ezekiel said, out and giving you a heart of flesh upon which he writes your word and every word that he writes there you cherish that is proof that you are his and made new. Again and again in Psalm 119, and I wanted to read so many of these, and I'm holding myself back. If you can't see the bit in my mouth and the reins with which I'm holding myself back, well, they're there, so I'll only give myself this one from Psalm 119. Because Psalm 119 is really about God and the man of God who walks with God. And in Psalm 119, verse 10, this declaration is made, With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. See, there is the conundrum of the believing life. The seeking after God, but yet the dependence upon God immediately after saying, I'm seeking you, then also the dependency upon him saying, let me not wander. Why do we sing that song? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why are we prone to leave the God we love? In a sense, we, we should say to ourselves, what's wrong with you? Snap out of it. Why are you leaving the God who calls you? He's inviting you to his presence. He wants you near and close unto him. He has declared his love through his son, Jesus Christ, taking your place on the cross. He's invited you into presence. Draw near. And yet our heart isn't true. Our heart has to be called back from wandering. And that's why we read these texts and we believe on them. And we say to ourselves, I will draw near. With confidence. God has called me near. I will go for God has called me. The example of a true heart is one that comes near. And it comes near both on the outside and on the inside. I want to present to you also the negative from the very prophet Jeremiah who gives the new covenant as a hopeful future promise. We also need to remember that God knows our hearts, and he knew Israel's. In contrasting the ten northern tribes 
of Israel that had separated from Judah and Benjamin years before, and showing that even with Israel and all of her sin, Judah was even worse than her sister. And in Jeremiah 3, verse 10, God declares through Jeremiah, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah, listen, has not turned to me with her whole heart. She has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Christians, we need to learn what faith is. And faith is not how much faith you can gin up inside you so that you suddenly feel really super saved, really super settled. No, faith is placing what you believe rightly upon he who can carry that belief. And that is only God and his son, Jesus Christ. We trust his promises. We don't trust that we are going to perfectly follow him. We trust in his promises that he perfectly makes and keeps with a true heart. To remember, I didn't deserve saving. I can't save myself. He saved me. He gave me a new heart. He writes it, his words on my mind. He is my God. I am his, and he is mine. I can draw near. So let not your prayer time be limited by your timidity. Let it be opened to your faith rightly placed with a whole heart as Jeremiah will later say in Jeremiah 24 verse 7 uh, this new covenant gift given by God Jesus, uh, God says through Jeremiah then I will give them a heart to know me in the same book that he says that Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart he says then I will give them a heart to know me and I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Listen, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So the reason you came to God and believed on him is God gave you this. He draws you in just like he will eventually draw Israel back to himself. He promised the possession of a true heart given through the new covenant allows you confidence to draw near. The second possession given by the new covenant is the possession of full assurance of faith. Verse 22 again, let us draw near with a true heart, listen, in full assurance of faith. That's where we struggle. Can I have an amen? Faith. Faith. This entire book of Hebrews is leading up to the culmination of the faith chapter. But even right here, we have to start getting what faith is and what full assurance of faith is. If we define assurance, we can define it this way, in full confidence. Full confidence. Without doubts. Without doubts. I think it's faith safe to say that all of us at one time or another have played the doubting Thomas. Have we not? 
You know Thomas in the upper room. The others have come back from seeing the amazement of the angel at the tomb or Jesus himself. And Thomas says, well, I ain't believing it. Well, I guess he didn't use the word ain't, so I'm adding that in. That's a paraphrase. He said, I'm not believing it until I feel his hands. Till I see his side. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna believe until I have physical evidence. Here's the amazing thing about our faith. Have you ever thought about this? Take some time right now to think about this. Why do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Did you see it? Why do you believe he paid the price for your sins? Did you hear him say it? Why is it that you are even here this morning saying, I'd like to know how to have my faith be a faith of confidence, full assurance? How is that even possible? You haven't seen it. You weren't there. You didn't hear it. Nothing except what? This simple testimony. This is what you have. This is how you learned of this. And the power of these words are as real to you as your own faiths. Can I have an amen? How did that happen? By the new covenant promise of God. You keep showing up here. Believing the same thing. Even after last week. Amen? Full confidence. This book is our navigation system. We all know what a navigation system is now, right? We used to have this thing called maps, kids. And we had to look at maps to figure out where we were going. They were on a thing called paper. And another thing called an atlas or a book of maps. There's a Thomas guide I used to use to get around L.A. Now we have phones. And we have someone on our phone who talks to us after we've punched in the coordinates, right? Like Star Trek. Huh? Mr. Sulu, set a course for the nebulous. I don't know. I can't remember the episode. And then you follow it. But not all of us, right? Some of us. We're going down the road and they say, right turn in 300 yards. And we say, that ain't the right way. And we go past. And then we hear it say, now turn right in 200. Now turn right in 500. Now turn right and say, go back. But no, you're sure that couldn't have been the right way. You know, and early on in the navigation systems, that kind of happened time to time, didn't it? 
But let me tell you something about this navigation system that God has given us. It never steers you astray. So why is it that we always think it's not in 300 feet? Why is our full assurance not always there? If we just do it God's way, it will happen. Like, for instance, this promise that we find in James 1, verse 5 and following. Here's something that God is guaranteeing. And we don't think it's absolutely right a lot of the time in our life. Let me read it. You know it. If any of you lacks wisdom, which like should be if God is like asking for a raise of hands. If any of you lacks wisdom, we should all be, ooh, that's me. If any of you lacks wisdom, which is all of us, let him ask of God. Let us, let him, let him ask of God, listen, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. You mean I can be wise just by asking God? That can't be true. That can't be real. And I'll prove it's not real. I'm not asking. And so you stay foolish. The practice of asking God and believing that he'll give you wisdom is faith. I mean, what does wisdom actually look like? To help us understand that, the book of Proverbs uses the figure of a woman. Wisdom stands in the corner. She calls out to the foolish. Behold, come in if you would be wise. And the fools march on by. That can't be the place to get wisdom. We really believe God's promises when we really, in full assurance, turn when he says turn. When we really ask for wisdom, knowing that he will not reproach us for saying out loud, I'm stupid, I need help. Can you say that in church? I think I just did. Because the lack of wisdom, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. Foolishness is the ultimate stupidity. For the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. That's lack of faith. So wisdom is faith that there is a God and we're going to follow him. See the path of faith of full assurance. And then there's this guarantee. And it will be given to him. And do you want to pray for something that will come true? You know, sometimes we want to pray, for, let's pray for healing, let's pray for a new car, let's pray for a new job, let's pray for all these things that we want, but the thing God tells us to want, <laughs> we don't pray for. And even guarantee, if you pray for this, I'm not going to reproach you, I'm going to give it to you. But then he says, this is the caveat, and this is where we stumble. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting. Uh-oh, that's where some of you go, uh-oh. For he who doubts, James says, is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's going to stay foolish. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you won't believe God, you're not going to believe anybody. 
If you can't believe God's promises to you and you don't act upon them, then you're going to stay unwise your whole life. We should all here be constantly and continually in our life saying, Lord, make me wise. And then we pursue wisdom. You know how you do that? You don't go to church. You don't open your Bible. You don't study. Because God's going to make you wise. He's going to give you the old zapparune. You won't need me anymore. You won't need church anymore. You won't need uh, anybody else in your life as a Christian believer to help you along the way anymore. You don't even need to crack that Bible. Concordance? Forget about it. I'm wise. God said I could. Is that what he means? No, that's, I think, foolish. He said, I'll make you wise. And then he also tells us, read, study, teaching them all things which I have commanded you is the rest of the gospel. That's why we have church. I must move on. You might have noticed that I read verses 19 through 21, but I didn't deal with them yet. We're looking at the possession of full assurance of faith but what really gives us that full assurance of faith is a few other things, two other possessions from the new covenant that are declared in those three verses. Let's look at them again, verse 19, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, that assumes they're all believers he's talking to, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Did you notice that word in there? It's a participle. Participle, ending in I-N-G, having. There's two havings, one in verse 19, one in verse 21. The first one is having. This means you already possess. God is saying to you, you know what you have? This is what you have. So you Christians who are timid, you Christians who are scared, you Christians who don't want to allow yourself or say to yourself, I'm not worthy to enter in, then you are denying this truth. Therefore, having boldness. But wait a minute, I'm the scared one. Yep. It's true from the timid to the brave. Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest. And why do you have boldness? You say, well, I'm not worthy. I haven't done things right. I'm not where I should be. I haven't prayed enough. I didn't read my Bible enough. How can he want me close? Why would it even be something I can do? It's not about you. It's about the blood. See, confidence about you will keep you out of the presence of God. You should have no confidence in yourself. Confidence in the flesh is foolishness. You have confidence in the work of God and the promise of God. Notice, having boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest. Why? By the blood of Jesus. I don't deserve to come in. I can't come in. The high priests of old could only come in once a year. Nobody else was allowed in. How can I come in? By the blood of Jesus boldness. Not your blood, not your sacrifice, not your well-doing. I'm not saying you're not going to do those. By the way, verses 24 and 25 are coming. Hang on. I'm saying confidence is not in you. It's in the blood of Jesus, which you have never seen, but it has been declared to you and you believe in, and that allows you a bold approach to God. 
it produces full assurance. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and now the second having, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. We have a high priest. How come you can go? The blood of Jesus, the real sacrifice. And then the high priest Jesus of the order of Melchizedek ushers you in. You do not go alone. Those who think we go into the holiest of all alone are fools. What do priests do? Priests bring people near to God. That's their job. The great high priest Jesus brings us near to God with his sacrificial blood offering. And he represents us there before God. Let's look at this a little bit more. How this boldness, if you will, gives us an avenue of approach to enter into the holiness. So if we're following this navigation system that is the Bible that has just declared that we need to enter in, that we need to come near to God with a true heart, having full assurance of faith, how do I get to this boldness that it just was declared that I already have? And the first, of course, is by the blood. The blood. His blood shed. Our boldness is fed. We trust in that. Hebrews 9, 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You are eternally redeemed by the blood of Jesus. His death bought that. You can be bold in his offering. The boldness also of a new and living way, and that's why I marked this out. It is so amazing that through death we have access by his blood, but the way, this avenue that is provided for us to the nearness of God is new and it is living. Verse 20, by a new and living way, his blood unto death, his body is a new way in. As he says it, by a new and living way which he consecrated, meaning set aside for us. There's this on-ramp for believers only that takes us into the holiness of God. And it's declared here that it goes through the veil, that veil that separated all of Israel from the very presence of the holy place of God, where no man should be brave enough to enter for the glory of God would kill him. And only once a year with the right clothes, the right sacrifice, the right heart, the high priest went once a year. That way was closed. There was a detour sign all year long. And only one time a year could the high priest go in and nobody else. You'd be turned back from that on-ramp. Now it has been opened. And the way through is his flesh. That is this consecrated new and living way is his flesh. His body through the veil, our faith. 
See, everything about his physical death signals new life and nearness to God. What was once a funeral dirge of everyone dying with no hope, this death chant has been turned and replaced to a sonnet of spring. The hope of new life. Isn't it, isn't it always in the spring that the poet wants to write about love and about life when the robins are returning and the leaves are springing from the trees? The tulips are coming from the ground that was once dead and now lives. The daffodils give their bright yellow song. Just by looking at them, we say, we're alive. This is Jesus by his body. It is realized as well because Jesus is our great high priest, that mediator. Hebrews 9, 15, as we've already studied, and for this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of internal inheritance. Jesus stands between us and God. Jesus mediates there. I can come boldly, not because I feel like I'm deserved. I go there because he deserves to be there and God wants me there and Jesus will mediate for me there and I can be with my God having boldness to enter the holiest. Paul in Ephesians said these words. He said, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now pay attention according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Zero in now, in whom we have boldness, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. In Him, not us. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, Christian. Even if tribulations come, for Paul is in the midst of tribulation, and he's saying, have boldness, you have access to God, and I don't want you to lose heart, even though I'm being tortured, even though I'm imprisoned, this is God's will, be bold. I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. I wish I had time to exegete that. I don't. I'm moving on. Number three, the possession of a clear conscience and a clean body. Clear conscience, clean body. Most of the times our conscience is afflicting us on some level or another. Can I have an Amen. Because every day, there's something. I pray for the fir first full day that I will live without sin. Amen? I have not lived that day yet. I have known days where I know no sin that I can make account to the Lord of. But that doesn't mean there aren't any. I'm quite sure I'm unaware and unable to give a good account of myself at the end of each day. And I'm sure if you're honest, you say the same. 
But the clear conscience that we can have is not as a result of perfect adherence. That will come upon glorification when this flesh is done away with and a new body is given us. Until that time, we have boldness because we possess a clear conscience and a clean body. It says, having, verse 22, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The picture is the temple. The picture is the consecration of the unclean and making it clean by the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice. The sacrificial blood of Christ is in that way symbolically upon you, cleaning you on the outside and cleaning you on the inside. Of an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water as they did the rites of cleanliness can even say that this word of God is the water of the word. The tabernacle that was symbolic for the present time, Hebrews 9, 9, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience, has become a new thing. Hebrews 9, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more? The question is a question for your, you and your faith. How much more shall the blood of Christ, more than the gifts and offerings, the sacrificial lambs and the bulls and the doves, how much more than this shall this sacrifice of Jesus cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? All the way, amen, we got one in the back. Where are the rest of you? few thumbs up. You see, the effects of salvation are internal before they're external. They come from the inside out, not the outside in. You can do everything God commanded in the Ten Commandments and inside you be full of dead men's bones like the Pharisees, as Jesus said, your whitewashed tombs on the outside and inside you're full of dead men's bones. Or you can have true faith in Jesus and that will change your inside and come outside. The sacrifice of Christ must be remembered by us daily in faith. The people of faith of old, like Isaiah, when he spoke even of the Lord who said it this way in 29.13, therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. It must be more than just the outside. It has to be the inside. James said this in 4 and verse 8. He said, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Do you believe that? I know that to be true. If you set your heart to draw near to God, he will be there for you. He will be there to meet you. He will not let you be there alone. You will know he is there with you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What are you allowing in your thinking in your acts, 
that becomes a roadblock for your drawing near to God? Is it your unworthiness? Is it your fear of exposure to God? Is it a fear of His judgment? Is it a preoccupation with your busy life and all the things that you think are so important? Is it money? Is it any number of things? You know the thing. Believe God. Let us draw near. Peter said this, He who ran from God wants himself, and God went after him. Since you have purified your souls, he said, in obeying the truth, you know, that's what clings to your soul. In obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, Peter says, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, a new and living way. Let us have confidence, brothers and sisters, that draws near to God. Let us, let us, let us, let us pray. Lord God, our Savior Jesus Christ, approach the Father on our behalf, Lord Jesus, our great High Priest. We have trusted in the blood of your new covenant sacrifice and we would boldly be in the presence of you with you at our side and of God, very God, in the holiness of all. Let us enter and find a father who welcomes us as a son through his son, Jesus the Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.